My name is Ricky Day, and this is Nothing to Lose But Yourself. everybody doing? Uh, I feel good today, don't you? Yeah, you know, every now and then, I, I just feel like letting letting the theme song just roll for a while, right? Hey, <laughs> what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. This is Ricky Day, and you, are, of course, are listening to Nothing to Lose uh, But Yourself, the little podcast where we do everything we can to have some amazing uh, interactions with our guests and to change this world one conversation at a time. I also feel like uh, I owe y'all a little apology because I've been gone too long, right? We had a little two-week hiatus there. I hope everybody had an amazing Thanksgiving. Uh, We had an amazing guest uh, who um, unfortunately had to respond to a very dark uh, circumstance, and so they couldn't be with us uh, in the week that they were supposed to be here, and so uh, we decided to add a week of hiatus to our scheduled hiatus. But we are back, and we are going to wrap this second season up strong with a couple of amazing guests, and one of them is with us today. And so we're going to dive into that in just a moment. But before we do that, uh, for those of you who may be listening for the first time, I just want to let you know a little bit about what you're listening to. First of all, again, my name is Ricky Day. This podcast is called nothing to lose but yourself. And uh, it is my thesis, my theory, my belief that um, so much of what's wrong with the world is the fact that humanity is living through this identity uh, crisis, that we've forgotten who we are, that at our core, we are loved, that at our core, we are created by God. And as such, if we can love and embrace our authentic selves, then it fills that void that exists within people when you don't know who you are, right? And when you're trying to find something to make you feel better about who you are outside of yourself, like money and, and materials things or likes and followers. And the worst thing that we do to make ourselves feel better about who we are is we look to find others that we can diminish and imagine ourselves better than or try to treat other people worse than we treat ourselves in an effort to feel better about ourselves. I think so many of our problems come from that. And this podcast is a built to be the antidote to that, right? So we have amazing conversations with incredible people who along their journey have learned to uh, embrace their own humanity, uh, to love themselves uh, and their authentic self specifically, and to take that love into the world and see the humanity in other people's eyes as they interact with them. And so that's what the show is about. That's what we do. We talk to celebrities, we talk to psychologists, faith leaders, anybody who has a great story, who's really leaning into and focused on loving their authentic self and putting that love back into the world. Now, if you want to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Nothing to Lose But Yourself on Instagram and on Twitter. And if you want to follow me personally, it's Ricky Day, R-I-C-K-Y-D-A-Y on Instagram and on Twitter as well. Well, our guest today is a uh, is a good one, and I can't wait to talk to him. Our guest is Amir Arison. Amir is an actor and director who you may recognize from any number of shows, but right now he is starring on the great show on NBC called The Blacklist. So without further ado, we're going to get into the episode, but what I want you to do, and if you're joining us for the first time, let me tell you how we do this. I want you to sit back and relax, right? I want you to grab, uh, grab a cup of coffee, uh, a glass of wine. 
wine, uh, your herbal refreshments. If you're in California or New York or somewhere where that's legal, I don't care what you do. I just want you to be safe. I want you to be at peace. I want you to be focused and present. And I want you to sit back and enjoy my conversation with the talented and the incredibly positive Amir Arison. See you in just a moment. My guest today is uh, actor and director Amir Arison. Amir is known, uh, best known for his work on the NBC, Sony, Netflix hit series, The Blacklist, currently in its ninth season. Uh, other TV credits include recurring and uh, guest appearances on Law and Order, SUV, uh, American Horror Story, Bull, Homeland, and Girls, just to name a few, as well as the upcoming Hulu uh, limited series, The Dropout 655. Uh, he recently starred in the indie drama 20 Weeks, which is also streaming on Hulu. Uh, and currently, Amir can be seen starring in the satirical Butterfinger commercial campaign running worldwide, which I can't wait to talk about because I really dig it. Uh, on stage, uh, he's performed internationally uh, with world premieres at NYTW, the Public Theater, uh, the Signature, uh, MCC, Waterwell, Yale Repertory, Huntington, the RSC, and so, so much more. Uh, he's a recipient of the Mendez Award from MIA. FF, which is given to an individual in the entertainment industry who uses their platform to give back. And that's a clue, you guys, as to why he's here with me today. Uh, Amir is an award-winning director, currently directing a docuseries, uh, working with the eight-year-old cancer survivor Tatiana Bernard on her own short film, uh, demonstrating his heartfelt belief on the creative process and its power to help and to heal. That is a lot, but he's so much more. I want to welcome to the podcast, Amir Arison. Hey, Amir, how are you? Hello, Ricky Day. It is my pleasure and honor to be here. Thank you for that um, overwhelmingly flattering um, and kind uh, intro. I, yeah, it's hard to hear to hear about yourself. Yeah, it's it's hard. <laughs> it's like ah, it's like my like the evil eye. Tui, tui, tui. My mom, my mom doesn't like compliments about her son. She gets like worried or something. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, no, that's real. I'm the same way. People are like just take it. I'm like I can we not talk about me while I'm in the room? <laughs> uh, but no, man, it's all true. You're doing great work, and I'm grateful that you're here. So thank you for coming by and, and sitting with me. Thank you. Uh, congratulations. Blacklist is in its ninth season. That's a blessing. How are things going on the show for you? It's the gift that keeps on giving. Um, I certainly never, you know, one thing that's amazing is I, you know, it, it quickly developed when I knew I wanted to be an actor and was starting out um, in my 20s. I was My vision was to be on a series. I wanted to do a television series and it only, you know, I come from theater. I did theater primarily for the first 10 years of my career. And it became clear that it was the, the, the lifestyle of a television show fits me more. You know, when you're doing theater, it's like you're on a theater schedule and you're seeing theater people. And after the show, you all have food and drinks and then you get up late and then you can't, I can't, you work all weekend. You, um, and a television show functions more like a regular like nine to five job, not nine to five, right. seven a.m. to seven p.m. But uh, you have your weekends mm -hmm. and you have your evenings as opposed to doing things. So you can interact with other parts of society, sort of in many ways. So I actually feel like I can participate in other things besides just my right. industry, which is very, very important to me. Now and so, I, and I also realized like the sort of regularity of having a series. Uh, you can also build. You know, it wasn't until I got a series that I didn't got a dog, started investing, start, just started leaning into other parts of my life because I was so obsessed with just like trying to get the next job. You have a job, 
Like I remember an older actor told me when I was in my first off Broadway plays, like when you're doing something, they always ask, what are you doing next? Right. You know, and then when you're not doing anything, this is what are you doing now? It's, it's like this perpetual existential sort of thing. So to have a series that, you know, so each year when the option gets picked up, I know I got a job for nine months. You, mm-hmm. know, God forbid, you never know. A pandemic can hit. Anything can happen. And so you live day to day, day to day. Never Murphy's Law. I never make any assumptions. But the weird thing now about being with you now is my dream is to be on a series, but when they hire you for series standard contracts that are six years, and that's a dream if they go that long. Right. I never in a million years, I mean, I've been on the show for nine years. I've changed immensely. And now there's a sort of existential thing inside of me going on. Well, I, I achieved the thing that I always wanted um, and it's still going. I'm having a flood of new feeling of the new uh goals and evolution and purpose and uh so uh how's that going it's been amazing but i do feel like i'm in a sort of in the middle of some kind of transition within me and so the job sort of means something different to me it's uh it's a beautiful thing but it it it, it, i don't know if uh, i'm being clear i said a lot it's like it's it's changed in its place inside of my mind heart and soul it's still in a beautiful place but it's yeah, I'm, 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 it's been the best thing I can say about the blacklist. The best thing I'll say about the blacklist, you know, the advent of social media kind of was just hitting. Right. Facebook was already big, but it was just hit Instagram. Twitter was just kind of getting bigger mm-hmm. when I was with nine seasons ago. When I started, I had no idea the platform I would be given by being on this show. Oh, nor did I know how uh, popular the show would be around the world. You mm-hmm. know, it translates, it's amazing how it translates into so many uh, cultures. I mean, Every, I mean, it's like in every territory around the world, you know, you know like it, South America, Asia, South Asia. I mean, you name it, the Middle East. I mean, it, it translated into every language, Europe. And the the I did not anticipate the platform I would have to speak to those around the world and it quickly became a, a, a apparent to me that I'm like, they can, oh, there's like the, the Spider-Man with great uh, power comes great responsibility. responsibility. And and it just became the most natural thing. I'm going to say, I, I riffed. You asked me one question. Uh, how's it going? And I've, I've talked for That's what we're here to do, That's what we're here to do. Have a conversation. <laughs> I mean, this is literally, people are listening like a fly on a wall to two human beings having a conversation about things they're passionate about. So there's no rules. Just, just, just flow. You good. Isn't it that simple, though? Mm-hmm. just listen and respond to a single human being that is the key to acting and also like you know i believe it in writing and directing you be as specific as possible people are like i want to reach a global audience reach one person mm-hmm. and a lot of other people will extrapolate from that even if that story is, spe- is not specific to their culture if someone's having a heartbreak or if someone's trying to get over some impossible situation they have their own version of interpreting it. We all listen to song lyrics and they all speak to us in so many different ways for different parts of our lives. But that artist, that successful artist is talking about a specific thing they're going through. Yeah. So uh, I want to say one, one, more, one thing that I think might be related to sort of uh, the theme and vibes of your podcast. Um, I remember getting asked um, early on, here's like maybe season two or three, if I would, I started getting asked a lot, would you speak at this nonprofit? Would you do this? And I was like, oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. Oh my God. I believe in that. And I remember getting asked to speak um, at a, at a 
homeless women's uh, shelter, mm-hmm. shelter for, for homeless women. And they were putting on like a fashion show. It was a fundraiser. And I was like, wow, that's so great. So, and I remember like I had to write like my speech. I was like, well, I feel bizarre. I, just, I have to dig really deep. I, I, I feel inauthentic. I, I've never been a woman, nor have I been homeless. Right. Um, so I really just had to go deep down and think about, you know, my mom was a refugee and the things I've learned from her and, the, you know, and, and, and the value of, you know, a roof and, and love and not taking anything for, you know, I, I went to, I found somewhere, something to talk about, but I remember talking to my friend about it. She goes, Oh, 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 you're going to get asked to do a lot to, for a lot of things. She goes, pick three, three causes that really matter to you. And then that will, and it was, and it was so clarifying immediately. I was like, Oh, mental health awareness, arts, access, and education animal rescue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it, ironically, those also all happen to be non-political, non-culture specific. And I, so that fit with me. I was like, talk to anyone, mm-hmm. speak to your supposed enemy, although I don't think we should have enemies, but uh, so that, it, that became a very uh, clarifying uh, guide, guiding force that most of the nonprofit work I do, although not exclusive to those three have some kind of connection to that three. And I feel authentic because those three things changed my life. And I know how important they are specifically to my development. Yeah. And that's the key, man, being authentic. And, you know, what does authentic mean? Everybody thinks about it and has slightly different definitions for it. But understand at the core, you really need to know who you are at your core and, and be authentic to that. And choosing those those issues that are near and dear to your heart, you can speak about them with authenticity. You can think about them with compassion, with passion uh, as well. Um, so that that's great. And that was great advice from your friend. You should thank her eternally for that because she saved you. She, uh, she told Chef. I'll give her a shout out. She's an actress and she does a lot of nonprofit work and she's a cancer survivor and she wrote a children's book and on the way she realizes children's book has become her purpose and she's helping to get books, you know, books and literature to kids that don't have access. I mean, it's just like you see her on her, it's people, they say your vocation and your purpose finds you. We talk about um, being your authentic self. That is, uh, is something that is, uh, I also find uh, evolving. Mm-hmm. You, the, the authenticity is is a sort of existentially is a fascinating thing that one can unpack. Uh, but we evolve, and you must stay like the things that matter to me now. Although I don't think my core has changed, I don't think people, but is is completely different. And I love getting older because I feel like I can see through things yeah. much better. I can see clearer up myself. I can call out my own BS. Immediately. And if I'm not calling it out, I feel something. I was like, I'm not having the best positive mental frame uh, for a couple of days. Have I, what have I been eating? Have I gotten my sleep? Just go back to fundamentals. Have mm-hmm. I been doing my fitness? What energy am I around? Am I on social media too much? Is there an unnecessary, is there a conversation that needs to be had with a loved one that is, you know, percolating and has, I immediately just go chuk, 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 yeah. check in with my psychiatrist. And I can, cra- I can crack it. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I need to pray a little or meditate a little. Um, it, it, and you can just, there's like a checklist. Yeah. Uh, and then I actually came up with something else, um, not, not too dissimilar from your podcast. I actually came up with like a little YouTube conversation series recently on this journey this past year and a half. 
called Positive Peeps. Mm-hmm. And I think you seek out I, similar guests. Yeah. Um, where I find people who do extraordinary things, and I, 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 you know, I consider myself positive. I can tell how positive you are, obviously, and that's what you're. You know, one of the concepts of this podcast is in doing this Positive Peeps. It was from working on a nonprofit and working on this docu series that somebody asked me, I want to do what you're doing instead of, they didn't want to donate to the project. But like, how are they, how are you doing what you're doing? And I realized that I was on something that was, that was becoming my new purpose. That's right. part of the, the process of changing while I've been on this journey of the blacklist. Mm-hmm. And I, I realized that and stuff I've learned from my mom and incorporated that I came up with this phrase, create, donate, feel great. I love if it. you are stuck, create something and it can be, plant a garden, cook, write a poem down, journal, create, get you out of your head, mm-hmm. Get gr- participate in something outside of yourself. And you don't understand how cathartic that could be. And then the other thing I said also is donate. And when I say donate, I don't always mean out of your pocket. Right. It doesn't have to be, you know, if you don't have the funds to give, you got to pay for food and your kids or, you know, you don't have... <clears throat> Donating your time is, I think, the most precious thing you can give. Mm-hmm. Time is the most precious commodity. Absolutely. And if you give, and then if you don't have the time, which, you know, what is it? There was a, uh, it was a Deepak Chopra, not to quote Deepak Chopra, but someone was as if, you should meditate daily. And someone was like, uh, but what if uh, I don't have any time to meditate daily? He goes, ah, then you should meditate twice daily. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant because it's true. You've got the time and you make you, the time. You have to make the time. Yeah. You have to make the time. One minute, five minutes, 10 minutes. If I feel myself in that rut, I just will stop. And I'll just 10 minutes and close my eyes and just unpack myself. And you can literally have the most deep conversation with yourself if you just stop. You stop. And you stop. You can have a deep, honest conversation with yourself. But you have to close out all noise, mm-hmm. including the noise in your head. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the, the, there's all this noise in my head and you can kind of like, all of a sudden it's like, like the matrix. You start going through, you start, you can start, I don't know, I, I, my mom, I learned this and inherited or evolved. I don't know where it comes from, but I, something I've been able to do the last five years that, where I can just immediately kind of go and I can't figure out what's wrong with me. And for in 10 minutes, I can immediately see the source of what's going on. And then I just forgive it. I'm kind to it, release it. And I open my eyes and I'm better. Absolutely, man. People forget. I mean, the world is so nuts right now, right? And I've listened to so many people over the last, you know, 24 months uh, talk about the world and like the world's this thing that's out there, right? And everyone's like, oh, the world's so messed up and it's got my energy all over the place. And I just feel terrible. I'm like, your energy being all over the place is why the world is screwed up. Your Mm -hmm. inner life determines your outer experience and our collective inner lives, which clearly are a mess right now, determine the kind of world that we're building. When you go inside and, and you, and you meet yourself and you meet the creator, whichever, whatever you believe in, but you'll, you'll find it. It's there waiting for you. When you connect to that, it slows the world down. It calms down all the crazy kinetic energy that's floating around and driving people nuts. And you can start to one, be in touch with your own humanity which then allows you to look in the eyes of other people and see a reflection of yourself in their eyes and see their humanity. And then we realize, okay, there's these challenges, but we can, we can fix them. We can address them. But this othering that we do, this stuff that we do because our energy is so crazy and we're not taking time to be present, to be 
in this moment that we're in and just sit there and just feel what you're feeling and understand why you're feeling it until you can do that. Of course, the world and the energy in you and around you is going to be nuts because it's just all, we're all walking around these little maelstroms and, you know, they get this collective energy that builds and, and it's not going to be good. But when you take a moment just to, to meditate, to pray, to do whatever you need to do to be as still and present as possible, you can start to focus on, you know, those things that matter the most, uh, starting with the basics, your breathing, your heart's beating, mm-hmm. you're in a body, breathing. whether the body's perfect or injured, you're still in a body. You're alive. Like you're alive. What greater gift is there than that? You know, so it's, it's, it's really interesting and it's important. And I can tell that you're the kind of person that does that because of what you're putting into the world and how you're functioning within this realm of celebrity and stuff, which is not an easy space to be in. I'm not a celebrity, but I understand because I've been so close to so many over the years, how crazy that can be, man. So you you need that piece. Um, You know, back to the blacklist, Um, you know, there's been a little angst I've noticed among fans as I was watching the show and listening, they were worried like, is it canceled? Is it going to be canceled? You may not be in a position to speak to this, but what's going on with the show? You guys coming back? Do you guys know yet? Everyone's freaking out because people do have such deep passion for the show. Well, we're in season nine. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, We didn't know about season nine till sort of mid to deep, deep, fairly deep into season eight. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're right at the midpoint right now of shooting season nine. The episode six aired this past Thursday. We're shooting episode 11 now. Um, you know, like every season, the rumor, the rumor mill flies. Um, I, I, I don't, uh, honestly, I think it comes down to dollars and cents for yeah. the studio and the, the corporate money machine of entertainment industry. But I try not to, let any of that angst feed me. I will say when I was certain it was ending and then it continued, or they would ask if you could do it again. I was like, huh? My mind, it's like almost like if you're doing push-ups, uh, the trainer's like, you know, three more. And then you just have all that you have in you to do those three with everything you got. Right. <laughs> and then you take a rest and they're like five more. What? <laughs> but my brain was already getting up to get water. I don't know if that's a good example because it's like, not like, it's not like push-ups. It's like torture. It's not torture. It's a gift. But my brain was like, oh, this is the end date. And I was starting to plan. So all of a sudden, like all these plans and ideas and calls and appointments was like, okay, which was a great lesson in and of it, of it, of itself. So, but that, I think that began a little bit of an existential thing where I'm still in this space that I never thought I would be. Um, so then my internal space has had to shift, Yeah, I guess. Yeah. And you started off speaking to that. So I think you've got the right mindset for it. You're like, I'm grateful. I thought six years was going to be a blessing and we're in year nine. So if we get another one, great. If not, I am grateful. And that really is another key. Oh my key God, to, absolutely. Yeah. There's a plus and I could argue plus and minuses to both, which is better, New York or LA. Everybody can speak to both. Oh, the weather, but the people, uh, it's the same thing. It's great if it goes continue. Oh my God, a job security. It keeps going to more of this character, more growth. Yeah, but if it stops, what a great run. I'm going to get to do something new, explore another part of myself. It's just a plus. It's just a, it's, it's all glasses half full. I yeah. know you feel the same way, Absolutely. Ricky. We are alive. We're breathing. The glass is half. I am, it is not lost on me that I have a job that gazillions of people would die 
to die is the wrong word, but would, you know, and I also tell people like this, living in the States with all the problems we have, you know, especially people are talking about the entertainment. I was like, do you know that almost everyone in the world would like to participate in the entertainment, if they are an entertainer to be, to have the access and the reach that the entertainment industry does from the U.S.? I only think the only one I think is technically bigger is Bollywood, maybe more viewers, more, more followers and more viewers. But the U S is the biggest export of entertainment. Um, and if you can, you know, kind of crack in and break and make a living at it, it's, it's unlike, you can see these actors like on money heist, they're incredible. Mm -hmm. And they are technically on a small market. Netflix picked them up and they broke out and they broke, broke huge. So, it's not lost to me that I am sitting on the Willy Wonka golden lottery ticket. Yeah. I worked hard for it, but you know, luck is when, you know, uh, as Robert Evans said that luck is when uh, preparation meets opportunity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I had the great opportunity of being born in this country. Yeah. And be born being born to loving parents. And uh and I and I did not take it for granted. I worked work work my butt off but it might not have happened that way but i still got to try in this entertainment industry other things would come you know doing plays there's so, so many ways mm-hmm. i'm just so grateful my man i i can't tell you yeah what a blessing talking be. about it even reminds me of how grateful yeah really i really i really really mean that and if i start not feeling that way i catch myself or i've got to catch myself yeah I'm a little, I'm a little allergic to complaining. We're humans. We, we all do it, but I'm a, sometimes it, it, on, on any set that I am or, you know, super complaining. It's just like, oh, uh, <laughs> come on, man. Do you know where you are? Do exactly. you know what you have? Um, but yeah, that's, yeah. but that's part of, that's part of human nature. And you mentioned, you know, I complain, we all complain. I've complained, you know, we, we all do. complain. I've done Just, it. Be careful who you complain to. I know. Try to keep it pillow talk or your mom or you know what I mean? Yeah. Or your longest, oldest friend. You don't want to, you know, it's more about you. Like, well, I'm going through this thing, uh, it, you know, but I'm, 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 I'm even trying to not even say a bad thing about anyone to anyone. Mm-hmm. I want to talk to my mom. I don't even want to put it into the universe. I was going to say someone that. like, it's hard. It's tough, That's but right. it's You've important. You've got to be actualized. People go to the mountains and spend their whole, entire lifetimes to do that. But it, it, uh, and if I and if I transgress, I am I am conscious of it now. Where I said I am stating this thing. I'm talking to a very safe loved one to help me through something that I'm trying to work out, you know, mm-hmm. or you know, or a therapist. So I am aware of it. Um, I, I know in the world of in the world of things, it's not it's not too bad. But it's you know, I'm a human being. You know, we are. Yeah. Corporal, we're on the earth here, but I'm, I'm, I'm very, very, very conscious of, and when, and this is the, I don't know, I don't know, I'll be curious how you deal with this. Um, when somebody comes to you and complains, or wants to start talking, for lack of a better word, start talking shit about something or someone, um, if you try to positive it. Negativity is a very powerful force that can anger the person and they'll double down on their negativity. Absolutely. And then they'll, and then they'll flip that negativity on you. Yeah. Uh, da, da, da. And then you're like, Oh, Oh, okay. And so I've tried to figure out what my, and then I realized, you know, as much as we want to help, we, we, uh, we do, but uh, you know, it's not our responsibility to rescue 
people to help or guide. But you know, once you do that, then you suddenly enter a codependent situation. That's the birth of a codependent situation, as I've learned. And um, but you want to be there as best you can. So I've tried to figure out. I was like, oh wow, I I'm suddenly in a a real negative, toxic conversation that I don't want to be in. I'm not able to resolve or solve, and I don't want to contribute to it so i don't contribute to it so i've just had to it's tricky sometimes i've excused myself to go to the bathroom yeah it can be tricky just, it can be tricky but here's the thing uh well first of all i'm trained in, in you know in addition to being an artist a filmmaker and photographer um i'm trained as a minister and oh, awesome. everyone's on their own journey right and as a christian manager which is what i'm trained as um you know we're taught to really to listen to people and to help people talk their thing out and let the Holy Spirit help them kind of understand where they're at and what is trying to be revealed to them in the moment. And what I found, particularly on social media over the last few years, is although I'm a positive person, you're a positive person, we think that's a wonderful thing to be. There is such a thing as toxic positivity. And oh, what wow. I mean by that is when people are going through or feeling a thing, for you to give them these platitudes to make them feel better. Well, oh, look at the bright side. And what? First, you have to give people the space to acknowledge what they're feeling, right? People 100%. have a right to feel what they're feeling. Then you give you them feel heard. Something I've learned yeah, to say is have to be I hear heard. You. Absolutely, I hear you. Your your feelings, your negative torrent of feelings, are valid mm -hmm. and in many ways even justified. Mm -hmm. But if you live there, you're not going to get anywhere for the other person, for you or for anything. And so I have also, I told, this is, I like hearing the word toxic positivity and so forth. And also I'm allergic to platitudes too. Yeah. Like, you know, the glasses have full, that's not something you say in those moments. It's like, oh gosh, it's like, oh, you're so, you know, but anyway, people sorry, want to be, I interrupted no, you. I'm, no, no. I'm, I'm really vibing what you're saying. You're good though, man. Because I'm telling you, people need to be heard and they need to understand and be able to hear themselves. So quite often I'll just listen. And after I've listened, I'll repeat back to them what they've shared with me. Most of the time, that starts the process already. Because right. hearing what they're spewing come back at them kind of starts to freak people who really want to be helped or who really want to heal. It starts to freak them out a little bit. And then you give people that reminder, and no one really wants to believe this or hear this, but we are, at the end of the day, the sum total of our choices. There are choices that you make or you made that resulted in you sitting here right now on this podcast. Not only the choice to say yes, to be a guest, but the choice to fulfill your dream, to work hard at your dream, to do the things that put you on the air. All these things are some total of your choices, right? So, you know, you have to remind people of your own involvement in your own situation. Then there's the existential stuff that happens outside of you. I didn't choose to be in a tornado or I didn't choose to be in a car accident and my leg got severed or whatever fair mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but you always get to choose how you respond and react to those mm -hmm. situations to mm -hmm. be a person of faith and say oh we made the image and likeness of god well god's love and god's a creator so we're love and we're creators and you create with your choices and so when you start to help people to understand that hey you can't control everything that happens to you but you can control how you respond to it and when people understand that they have some power in the situation, it starts to help people come back to, to, to healing. And that's what I find so troubling right now because everybody's acting like, oh my God, what's wrong with the world? This thing's happening to us. No, we are happening to the world. 
the earth is Ricky, let me I want to encourage you. I'm going to say yes, 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 and say the world is not a horrible place. Exactly. At all. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's a miracle. Some tragic, horrible things happen. But, but you know, the, the, you know how like when there's a car accident, you know, all of a sudden the traffic slows down because everybody's rubbernecking. Mm-hmm. Everybody's looking and slows down. And I find that in the media and social media is all about that. It's the car crash. Yeah. It's the fall from grace. It's the, it's that which draws all the eyes. And it's the good stories that don't go viral as well. Once in a while they do once in mm-hmm. a while they're, they're, they're special, but um, there's a something in the brain that we're designed to look at the problem and have a point of view on it. It's like a problem solving brains are designed to problem solve. Absolutely. What would I do or how dare they? And then, and then it puts on judgment and then, sort of mass hysteria or, you know, mass condemnation or before hearing everything, before literally listening and and hearing everything. One thing from what you just said that reminded me of an old saying is nobody ever got a tummy ache from swallowing bad words. Mm. Nobody ever got a tummy. So acknowledge the, so you were talking about hearing and then they hear themselves. Hopefully, they can catch themselves. Another thing I, I, I can do is, if you're having a disagreement or you're talking to somebody, to just ask questions. Like you said, hold the mirror back, not put judgment. And once you start asking questions, they begin to unpack something. You can see what's going on. Mm-hmm. And just like it, when you're directing, you can't tell an actor how to do a line. Right. Then it won't take. They'll be like, "You're doing a line reading." Some people just tell me how to do it. You know what I mean? Like what the director's looking for. But if you see what they're doing and you ask a question or what do you think, or this is, I'm really responding to this. What do you think? And they arrive to it on themselves. It takes hold Yes, and they're excited and they love that director and they love what's happening. And then they start going to, to new heights. It's really about nudging and encouraging, not, not, um, platituding or, um, demanding or finger pointing, finger pointing with positivity. I love that word, toxic positivity. I will take that yeah. um, for today. Absolutely not. Um, yeah. It's a real, it's, it's a real thing. It's a, it's a real thing. Um, back to you though, man, your career. Blacklist is wonderful. I've watched it and I've been watching it. I've binged it lately to get prepared for this. I, I, I dig it. But what I'm really digging is these Butterfinger investigator <laughs> spots on on YouTube are great. So oh, about, you lost. I mean, was oh it liberating God. for you to have opportunity to do some comedy again? Uh, and what was, what was that experience like for you? The answer to that is a one thousand percent resounding yes. Yeah. To do high silly satire. I grew up on Austin Powers, Ace Ventura nutty professor um get smart uh get smart yes Mm -hmm. yes steve carell is one of my all-time favorite actors artists like by far he can make you laugh and cry in the same line absolutely and it it almost looks like it spontaneously stumbles out and it's completely authentic and natural i um i i I, before i say it's liberating i I've given such good comedy on the blacklist as well that I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for my role in blacklist that I get both. Like I've got love interest and heartbreak and comedy and problem solving and playing cops and robbers. And, but, um, the, I, I made a friend for life. The creator of the Butterfinger campaign, his name is Tim Piper. His mind brain, he's Australian guy. He started an ad agency, sort of a creative ad agency. Um, 
And when I read the material, I was like, this is, this is gold. And I auditioned for it. They didn't know about Blacklist before. I just I auditioned for it like, and, and did a callback. And, and then we started vibing, and I started to improv a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then I would improv, and then they would write a series of jokes that go together. And then he would tell me something. I was like, that's so much better. I mean, it was like, it's honestly a comedy creative match made in heaven. We even like shared an Airbnb this summer because I shot another Butterfinger mm-hmm. this summer. And then when I was doing something else, he was doing something else. So we could like kind of, conceive and write together um and his mind is in uh incredible it is so so fun to do people who see the commercial on tv are really just seeing 15 seconds or 30 second spots that are pulled for but it's really like we're doing like these episodes these five minute episodes of full full butterfinger cases that my character takes it's the most serious crime that could be perpetuated and that's what I've stealing watched. Someone, I've, stealing someone's I've watched those long form ones and they're great. I mean, you get, you get sucked in and, and, and it does. It reminds me of what you do on the blacklist. Cause the first time you did it on the blacklist, I was like, it did, <laughs> should I be laughing right now? Like what's going on? And you're great at that. And I sensed that improv was at the center of it. And as I did my research, I found out that you love improv and improv oh. in many ways is the reason you have the role that you have on blacklist. You want to tell that story? Cause that's a great story. Well, you've done your, you've done your research. I got to say, I want to just say real quick, if yeah. Tim's listening to this in Butterfinger, it is completely written. I, when I improv, I throw in a little button or two, and then they they, they riff off of it. I must acknowledge the brilliance of the structure and the writing. Absolutely. First. But yes, I do. It, when, sometimes I'll be like, do we have it? And then I can, I'll go off and I'll start doing an X. Can I have one more take? And then I just go off and like improv. Um, and black, uh, real yeah, I've told this, this, um, this story is, um, it's like the origin story. I, I got cast. I'll jump to the, to the improv part. I, I got cast um, and they changed the name from when it was auditioned to Aram. And the director of that episode became a producer of that episode. He said, I told them we need a guy like you. They just, just do what you do. And um, cause I, I actually didn't even want to audition cause it was kind of a small computer part. I thought they could just get any competent actor but i said you know what if i'm gonna do this i'm just gonna have fun and i improv a little bit in the audition mm-hmm. uh, i knew how to like stay this stay in the structure it's funny i was just coming off of girls with lena dunham who was a master comedian structure and improviser so it was like we did exactly what we wanted but we both knew what little windows we could improv in and then yeah. get right back onto the script and it was so i was like vibing that at the time i was like hi i was free i was sort of free in that space and then when we got to set uh, you know, I told them they should name the, the guy Amir. So they named the character Aram. I, I didn't know that till I got to set. So it was very encouraging. It's mm-hmm. like, okay. And then my part was really simple. It was the tech guy. I, I, I was uh, talking to two principal, two main characters. And I'm like, oh, I've located them here, here, here. And they like take off. And um, I noticed that the director didn't yell cut till after they had exited the room and then a few beats later. So they're just sitting there on me typing. Right. So I know that you could always, in editing, they're just, few, as soon as they're like, we've located them, and they turn to go, boom, cut. Like, cut, cut to the next scene, or commercial, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they were still on me, and I knew the, the camera operator from an indie movie I did a few years ago. I was like, Frank. I was like, are you guys still on me? He's like, yeah, right here. You know, <laughs> like, what it's called, Cow, Cowboy, from Waste to, to Bubba. And I was like, I was like, and then I turned to the other camera and they're like, yeah, we're right here. I was like, so we did it again. They went out the room. They still didn't yell cut. 
So I started riffing and I did, and I started riffing. I was like, they just like ran out of the room and I was like, thank you. Like they ignored me. I was like, thank you, Aram. I acknowledged my, <laughs> it's the first time my character's name was said. I said it. I thanked myself mm-hmm. and thank you. And then, um, and then they didn't cut yet. So then I said, you're welcome. <laughs> just, not okay. I was like, thank you, Rob. They didn't cut. You're welcome. And now I'm having a full conversation with myself. And they still didn't cut. So I started cracking up. <laughs> so I started. And so while I'm laughing, I'm like, they're still going. I'm like, go get them. And I start typing away and getting all excited. And then they'll cut. And I was like, you know, I literally forgot about the job. I was like two days on the job. And then when I was watching, I was with myself. I was at my sister's place. And they showed the scene. And they kept that line. Mm-hmm. I grabbed my sister. That's when I knew something was up. Yeah. I was like, yo, this is like a network drama. They do not let improv jokes what um and then sure enough a couple episodes later they brought me back and i had been in every episode since that wow and they started this is the miracle sort of being present being free like they started writing towards my uh natural rhythms mm-hmm. and the way i would tell a joke and the, and then the beautiful thing about the origin of the character was like you know it's a little bit like the awkward kind of like you know stereotypical you know sort of the techie geek that are a lot of those shows but um, the the thing is, is you know, I was recurring that season. I was just kind of finding my footing on the show. I could see that the role was growing. I was getting good jokes, and and um, didn't want to ask too many questions. There's a lot of big shots around. I do this, this, and I was like, I kind of didn't know. Maybe I was like, oh, what's my blocking here? And then I have to turn. I did a weird dosy do, and I just said yes, and the character was born from me trying to do my best. Mm-hmm. And the awkwardness and the anxiety became sort of a natural, fun part of the character, which is, um, and then, like I said, I'm nine years later, I've gotten more confident. The character's gotten more confident. It's been such a natural evolution. Um, It's been beautiful, man. Thank you for asking. No, and I asked for that reason because, you know, you've told that story a few times. And so I would have normally avoided that, but in this context, I think it makes a lot of sense, man, because you're, and my pastor has this line, right? He talks about your gifts will make room for you. They will make space for you. And this is a great example of that because you taken the time to do the work. So you had the skills, you had the skill to improvise. You had the skill to understand how to function and how to be on a set, not be disruptive, but there's an opportunity and an opening here to be myself, to add this thing that I think could help. And you did it. You being you led to something that wasn't even in mind in the beginning. And I think that's the thing I want to call out for people. It's like, show up as your authentic self. Now, be professional. Don't be disruptive in the process, but be you because you don't know what's going to come from you being you. People who are looking don't even realize they're looking for you until you show up. All you can be if you try to be something or somebody else is a bad copy of it or a good copy of it at best. But you were being you. It's it's. It's such a also simple thing that I think some people I, I forget. Show up prepared, mm-hmm. show up on time, and be kind. Yeah, those things aren't. You've been given again. Again, you get to be in this business. You get an opportunity to act on a show. Show up on time. Be prepared. Be kind. It doesn't go unnoticed. If, if you don't get in the way and you do your job, you, you you're unconsciously being registered in that mind as someone they can rely on and hire again. Yeah. If you are asking a million questions, you're not prepared, you're late, you're immediately already canceling your next job. Mm-hmm. 
They'd work with other human beings. Who wants to be on the set for yeah. 12 hours with miserable people? Like No one wants to do that. I mean, that's just fundamental to me. Uh, yeah, it just doesn't make sense, man. Your parents sound like they're a big part of why you are who you are. You've mentioned them multiple times in this conversation, especially your mother. Tell me a little bit about your parents and who they are and, and how they raised you. Because it, 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 I sense, I, I feel their presence and I have never even met them. You're making me emotional just on what you're saying. Um, I, uh, the time. greatest, it's so clear to me, especially as I'm older, the greatest privilege I've been given, and we all have unfair things and we all have privilege. And we, the, the most obvious is, uh, Religion, space, gender, uh, race, culture, minority. That's an obvious thought when we talk about privilege and and, and not privilege. But being given love Mm -hmm. is a privilege that not every kid gets. And a a value on education. And examples of hard work. The biggest privilege I've gotten, you know, we've talked about being born in the United States, whatever that means. I'm not saying it means something totally different. I'm not speaking to anyone's shoes, you know, compared to being born in, I don't, you know, uh, you know, a difficult third world country where there's no clean water and oppression. That's, 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 that's what, but being born into my parents is by far and away the greatest privilege. I think I didn't ask for it. I was gifted it. I was granted it by whatever higher power you believe in. And um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I always had clothes, warm food, roof. Um, But love, support, encouragement of my dreams. You know, my dad is the best example of hard work. He's the hardest working man I know. I think he works too hard. Uh, Actually, he's he's a surgeon. He works seven days a week. my mother is a psychiatrist. I always feel like people are like, oh, psychiatrist. Da, da, da. My mom's like, yes, she's trained in psychiatry. Um, so she obviously knows a great deal about sort of um, human behavior, interactions, both medically and socially, if you will. But I always say that my mom is like a mad prophet who just happened to be a psychiatrist. That's like a good fit mm-hmm. for what she is. Mm-hmm. Um she thinks differently and I can hear her voice in my head when I come to crossroads, when I have a really, you know, I, 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 I can give advice to a lot of people, but sometimes I'm like, what is, this is who I am. This is the problem I'm having. And I can talk to her about anything. And, and she's so funny. Yeah. She's so funny, unconsciously funny. It doesn't even mean to be funny. Mm-hmm. I have to start laughing and she's like, what? And then she hears her back on herself. Is that, and then she starts laughing and realizing <laughs> I shouldn't even know. So I don't know that sounds, but I'm very, very, it's like, you know, I, I, you know, that's why, and then, you know, for those who don't have the good fortune of being born to, I mean, I could in every, in every Avenue, you know, um, you know, I'll give you, I just want to give you like one little nugget. I'm just thinking of so forth. Mm-hmm. My parents are physicians. They came to this country with nothing and they built built it um built themselves up. And 
we were not spoiled. We were spoiled in love and education. I had no student debt, which is a giant advantage in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, but we weren't fancy, you know, you know, middle class values felt like an upper middle class upbringing. And I didn't know, you know, what they were making or what that would and so forth. But um, I remember when I was like wanting to like starting out in the business and I was like, I'm going to have a bartend and do this. And how can I help you out? And this and that. And, you know, working hard and I had a great pride. I didn't want any help. I always knew that that was at a cushion if I fell down, you know, I wasn't mm-hmm. going to be bleeding on the street, but which is another advantage. But they, I remember my mom saying to me this, you know, I was like, this. she goes, I could give you this to help you. But I don't want to rob you of the feeling of earning your own dollar. Oof. It wasn't that she didn't get me, you know, mm-hmm. if I needed something, but it's not that she didn't want to give me if something happened, but she wanted me to know how good it felt and how grounding and independent and self-sufficient it could be when you do that. And the reward, and it's so true. Mm-hmm. Spending a dollar you made versus spending a dollar that was handed to you completely different. feels different. Completely different. Um, it's a great source of confidence building. And, and um, so notwithstanding, there is value in born into poverty and there is value being born into a billionaire class. It is a journey for everyone. There are um, advantages and disadvantages on the mind. Mm-hmm. That may not be apparent to everyone, but there's a great play called um, The Humans by Stephen Cram. My friend Arian was in it on Broadway. It's now a movie with, I think, Richard Jenkins and um, Steve Wen and a- Amy Schumer, uh, indie movie, um, where there's a great conversation over the dinner table about what people can see when they have money versus when they don't. Mm. And it's a great thing that we were talking about earlier. I don't know how I got onto this financial topic, but when when my mom came from nothing mm-hmm. uh, well no she came from love so she didn't come from nothing but um, had like eight jobs and really built something else or something I remember being like you know what do you want for yourself you're doing well you're older now she's like you know that's a great question you could spoil yourself with something she said I could be on in a studio apartment on a mattress and be happy as long as my family is okay I'm alive. I can. Money can never define you. It greases the wheels. Mm-hmm. It can greatly grease the wheels. I already am in pausing at myself because I can only speak from my experience. But the only way I speak from another experience is from the stories of my mother and my grandmother who, mm-hmm. um, my grandparents were Holocaust survivors. Uh, okay. who, I, I got to tell the story. I got to, yeah, you know, do. I talked to my grandma who I never met, who died 10 years before I was born of colon cancer when she was 47 years old. Oh, wow. And she was a Holocaust survivor and lost everything and all her family. And two stories I like to tell about her, which I feel like I could process when I was older and are, are North stars for me. When she was on her deathbed, and my mom was 20, 20, I think 20 years old, 
20 or 21, 20, I think. And my mom and her were like this. Mm-hmm. And my mom is crying. Why are you crying, Tipeneth? The sky is blue. The birds are fluttering. It'll be okay. My mom had dropped out of medical school to be with her. She goes, your dream is medicine. Go to medical school. It'll be okay. She's dying. Mm-hmm. The, sky, the sky is blue. The birds are chirping. Number two. And I've learned more and more about her. There's a lot, there's a lot of stories, but this one is like, they didn't have any money and they were on a train. This is in Israel. Mm-hmm. They were on a train back to Haifa from, I want to say Tel Aviv. And my mom is like eight years old. And my mom was hungry and wanted a sandwich. And her mom uh, only had enough for one sandwich and one drink in order to have the train enough for the train ticket to get home. So she buys a sandwich and the drink for her daughter. And my mom, the good kid, started splitting the sandwich in half to give half to her mom, which is my grandmother. And my grandmother stopped her and said, no. We split it into three. One third for you, one third for me, and one third for someone who doesn't have anything to eat when we get home. It's a big North Star for me. Mm-hmm. So I just want to add that to. No, thank you for sharing that. And I, I can see how emotional it is, but I also understand why, man. I mean, because it's, I sensed it. I sensed that those people, those ancestors, those people that came before you um, were guiding your journey. And I, I'm glad you shared it. And I'm glad I asked because I think it's so important. You know, you and I are sitting here successful in our own careers, in our own way, being trying to be forces and beacons of positivity in the world. Um, but I think in many ways, the only reason we can be those things is because we were blessed and fortunate enough to have people that simply understood how important it was to love us to love who we are. And that's why I do this. I want people to understand how important it is to love yourself, which therefore opens you up to be able to love others because most children don't care about material things very much. They just want to be loved and protected Mm -hmm. and know that they're they're cared for. Um, And it is a privilege and I I do take it seriously. And I I thank you for sharing, sharing yours with us because it's, it's important for people to hear these things. I think this is, I think I want to riff on something you're saying. This is something I, I, I figured out and I tell people when they've lost someone. The only thing I found, and this is an analytic, this is from an analytical point of view. Mm-hmm. The only thing I have found that transcends time and space is love. Absolutely. That's why when someone dies, you don't stop loving them. Mm-hmm. They're not technically here, but that, and they, and you can feel their love still. You can feel it. And then someone could be on the other side of the world. You know, technology has certainly helped with the connection, but even with letters before, you know, by pigeon, by ship, whatever it was, mm-hmm. 
that connection was happening, whether, you know, Castaway was a, you know, the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks, you know, mm-hmm. and then she comes back and Helen Hunt's been remarried with kids. And it's so his, his whole purpose that kept him alive was the love. Mm-hmm. So, 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 yeah, so that's why I, I, I feel my grandmother's love, even though she technically doesn't even know, she doesn't even know I exist in the real, in the, in the, in the realm of the world, but I, I'm sure somehow, somewhere, it's not for me to say yeah. she might it's like nice to think that, but I don't, that's not even my, my concern, but I feel her love because she sent it down to my mom and my mom and through my mom. Yeah, no, you're right. To my and mom's descendants. You're right. And it's beyond just the feeling it exists in a very real way because you're pouring that love forward into other people and you wouldn't have that love to give if it wasn't given to you. So it is absolutely a very real thing. I have the same experience with my grandmother and, you know, she had Alzheimer's and bless her heart. She lived to be almost 101. But the last time I went to the uh, nursing home to see her, uh, when I was saying goodbye, uh, I kind of sensed that mm, she's getting towards the end here. And so she looked up at me and she had this really approving, pleased look on her face. And she just said to me, um, you're a wonderful person. And that was it. Because it was in a statement, my job is done here. And I need you to understand that that was my job. And go be who you're supposed to be in the world. She didn't say all those extra words, but in that statement, she said that. And so I tell people all the time when they meet me and they're asking me, why are you being so kind or why are you this? Because I was loved. And I want to be able to pour that love into other people and bring that out of other people because everybody, the darkest spirit, the most hateful races, love's in there. It's just being covered by fear. But love is always present. You just have to learn to access it, man. We are, I got a couple more for you and then I'm going to let you go on with the rest of your day. But this is, this has been amazing in ways that I, I'm not surprised, but you know, you never know the particulars of it. Um, but I really want to say, you know, what's, here's the question I have for you. Who would you say you are at your core? Who is Amir Arison at his core? Um, I've never been asked that and I really don't know how to answer it. Um, I, I I feel like that's for some other, you know, I'm sure it's, I'm somebody different to so many different people. We all are. And we're not defined by others, but that answer lives in who you are to another person. I'm just thinking out loud here as I'm trying to yeah, sort of, of figure this out. But ask me it again directly. Yeah. Ask me, ask me again directly. Who? Do you feel you are at your core? Who is Amir Arison at his core? We know what you do for a living. We know what you may like in the world, but who are you called to be at your core? I'll share, I'll share an example. It may make it easier for you. Um, I realized a few years ago that uh, you know I do a lot of things, and I'm blessed to be able to do many of them well, some of them not so well. But I realized that, you know, when you look at a business card, oh, I'm a writer, I'm a photographer, I'm a director, I'm a theologian, I'm whatever. But that's not who I am. That's just what I do. Who are you? Of course. And I started to think about, well, what are the things I love? You know, passions are a window, right? A window into who you are. 
I was like, well, what are the things I love doing, regardless of whether I'm getting paid for them? What are the things I'm passionate about doing? You know, during the holidays when everybody's out partying or whatever, I could watch TV for hours, right? But I don't just watch any television. I'm always watching like Nova and Science Channel. So, okay, I love to learn. Then I realized, uh, what else am I doing? Well, young people and I have organic bond. I love to interact with young people from babies to teenagers. It's organic. They love me. I love them. Okay, great. Um, Communication, something I'm gifted at. Thank God. And I love doing it. I love taking the things that I learned and putting them in the words that anybody can, can grasp. And, you know, on and on and on. And so after I started to go through the list of things that I love doing, my passions, I realized, oh, my God, I'm a teacher. These are mm. all the traits of a teacher. And then mm. the other side of it is what you spoke to, which is how do you show up in other people's lives? So I ask other people, you know, when you think of me, what are the adjectives that come to mind? And please do not spare my feelings. I need you to be honest. The good, the bad, the what, what are you thinking? And people are like, oh, you're creative, you're passionate, you're this. But the one thing that most of the people I asked said, and they didn't know each other's answers, they came back and they said, well, you're inspiring. After I talk to you, I feel like I can do anything. And so I through that experience, I gained the knowledge that I am a teacher who inspires. And if I put that authentic me into whatever it is I'm doing, it's going to either be successful in the world financially, whatever, or it's at the very least going to help other people and be pleasing to me because I'm being who I am. So I could be a professor. I could be an artist that makes paintings that shows people things about history that they didn't know and does it in a way that inspires them. I can be a filmmaker. I can be any number of things as long as I'm being a teacher who inspires. So that's kind of where it comes from. Who is a mere heiress and at his core? I mean, when you think about it, you've got these great creative skills, but you seem to have this drive to use those skills to bring out the best in other people to make so and you may not know it now. It's fair enough not to know it, but you're well on your way to, to discovering it. And I think in many ways you're being it without knowing what it is. I, first of all, thank you. Because mm-hmm. you just, inside of that, um, you said a lot of kind things that resonate. Um, I, for some reason, I'm reticent to define it, mm-hmm. I certainly have heard recurring things. I remember some my friend Jay, I asked this often with somebody that's known me, my mom's best friend who's known me since I was born. Um, and they say things to me or nice things to me. And I said, what was that like when I was 10? Was that the same? And they're like, you're the same. Um, and it'll be in relation to something maybe that, that felt right or nice. But my friend, my friend Jay Balin, who's been my friend, one of my best friends since kindergarten, uh, said something. He goes, yeah, ever since I've known you, meaning since I was five, you've always uh, been concerned with um, uh, other people's feelings. And you always want to make sure that everyone you're around feels comfortable. Um, that, that touched my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, something that made me cry yesterday completely I'll just say it um, my assistant um, was um, 
uh, without going into a few details, uh, my assistant was dropping, um, was picking something up, dropping something off, I can't remember, from my uh, ex-girlfriend, who I'm still very close to, good friends with. Mm-hmm. Um, and my ex-girlfriend, I think, is doing is doing a few things, doing a lot of amazing things. Um, and But she's doing some assisting work for a company. And it's going well and so forth, but she was talking to my assistant and she said, you are very lucky that your boss is kind. And my ex-girlfriend mm-hmm. said that to my assistant. It didn't get back to me. It randomly came up like many months later. I cried. What a nice thing for your, my ex to say, mm-hmm. um, who I adore. If, if, if somehow she hears this, I just want to give her a shout out. She just, she should know that I, I, you know, I love her. Although we're not together. Um, uh, those two things, when they came back to me, because they do matter to me, but to hear about it unconsciously when I'm not there or some feedback when I was 10, that's, but what's nice about getting older is I can, as you start seeing your purpose and guidance more that you can, and you get a platform or something and yeah. I get to be here with you. Um, but I, 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 I weirdly don't feel like it's my place to define. Yeah, but it's fair, man, that you, you know, uncomfortable saying it because I think you're a pretty humble person and that's got a lot to do, I sense, of you not wanting to, to speak on it. But I do believe at the very least, healer is in there somewhere. Um, so much of your work, it shows up in so much of your work and how you move and how you speak in the world. Thank you. Um it's funny uh, that you say that because I come from uh, healers. My parents are both doctors. Um, it's literally the, and my mom always actually talks about that. She goes, when she sees doctors who are get, get caught up in other things, she says, I, sometimes I feel doctors forget their, their main function. And that's to heal mm-hmm. insurance. Or this, or that. Whether there's a, there's a Hippocratic, that is not the Hippocratic oath. Is yeah, that what Hippocratic it's called? Well, you are required. That's your, you know, it's your job to heal. Um. So, well, healthcare has its obviously has its problems and great inequities and issues. Um, but anyway, so uh, my mom always knows that at her core, she's a, a healer, and I know she's actually taken that on in every aspect of her life. It's not just. Again, I told you she's like a mad prophet who happens to be a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. She's not really practicing so much as a psychiatrist. She only has like just a couple patients that she doesn't have the heart to let go because they've been with her for 40 years right. or something. Otherwise, she would be fully retired. She's literally seeing them to the last day they want to be seen or their last days or whatever, or her last days, whatever whatever, whatever comes first. She's mm-hmm. there for them. Um, and is a dedicated healer. I never even thought about it like that. But um the thing that I had mentioned before about donate, create, feel great. The thing that I discovered about it, healing others or helping others is a great way to help or heal yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's funny that you see that or that's coming across because that has become a mantra of mine. Uh, again, a guiding, uh, a, a guiding force for me. And when I talked earlier about oh, what's, what, what's going on with my mind right now, about, okay, have I, 
Is my fitness in check? Have I been eating? Do I have any? Is there any conversations? I don't know if you know about the four agreements. Do I have to? Yeah. Am, I, am I doing? You know, I know them we, well. You know, the four exactly. Yeah, like I check in with those. Like I'm kind of going through the checklist. And if I feel like I've gone through the checklist, and I was like, okay, let me work on those things. Things usually get better. But if there's something else, I was like, I need to create something. I need to let me just go and practice on some random drums, you know what I mean? Or yeah. let me just da- go dance or uh, well, whatever, whatever. Let me, let me write, let me journal. Um, let me edit a video. I, I, I don't know. But, but the other thing is, is let me go. I'll just tell this quick story. because This was another turning point in my life, which began this realization that I didn't know was going to be such a turning point. It happened when I was 31 and I got my first pilot and I was in LA and I'll skip that. You can hear me, right? Yeah. And I got my first pilot and um, in LA and it looked like it was going to go. And that, remember that was my dream to get a series, right. you know, and I, I kind of left theater and did everything and was in LA and a tiny little rental car driving around, just like putting all my eggs, a ton of doubt working so hard. And um, I got it and, you know, tested well, my character tested through the roof. It was just everything I wanted and um and then it didn't get picked up mm. and that was that so nobody saw it and it went away i still did it still touched the goal uh, then away and then i had to go on auditions again and it was like i was back it, it didn't like i felt like i took this enormous step forward oh i know how i want to say it i remember when i when my agent and manager called me like you got it that i was driving to the airport to pick up my friend and they're like are you there and i just was quietly crying mm-hmm. i was like i'm there i'm good great and i remember feeling like i i had my uh, an engine like i was driving a car ironically i was driving a car there and that i felt like i had been driving this goal up until that this like from when i was young when i realized i wanted to do television i had been driving this goal to get a television series and i could finally turn off the car and take a breath mm-hmm. and i was like immediately i was like i want to get a dog like all this other things that I had been, but which I don't advise. It's just like not, a, I don't want to call it a mistake, but something I had to learn on my journey. Like I didn't allow all these other things to, to, to thrive in my life because I was so fixated on trying to get to the next step in my career. Right. And I was like a anxious, uh, I also didn't have a psychiatrist at the time and I was obsessive. You know, I used my anxiety and obsessiveness for good to try to advance myself. You know, I didn't, there was no, harm caused to others, I don't think. Um, I, I was just trying to move forward to prove to the world and to myself, which is something that I also think is not the right way to go about things. But what, we, all went our, we all go on our way. Mm-hmm. And, and then when it didn't go, and then I got an audition for something else and I had to go for like a pre-read in LA. Pre-read is like you have to read for the casting director to see if they'll give you the right to put you on tape. tape to see if that will go to the producers, to see if you can read in front of the, I mean, it was like seven steps away from getting a, and I was like, I almost crashed my car when I left that audition because I couldn't even see. I was so like, felt like I took the step of, I've been spending at the time 31 years to get to this point. And I felt like I just took 10 steps back and I didn't know how to, and I realized I was like, it felt like I, I my, that metaphorical car, I didn't know how to start. I was just out. I was empty. I didn't know how I lost it. And my mom was visiting me and we we're talking and doing things. So what's happened to my son? 
your lotus flower is wilting. And I said, I I know I, I can rationalize. I can give myself the platitudes. It's not how many times you fall down, how many times you get up. I, I had all the knowledge or the wisdom nuggets in my brain to try to climb, use. They weren't working. My heart was broken. Mm-hmm. My mojo was broken. My mom, without empathy, said, go volunteer. Help someone really in need. Yeah. And so I did. And I went and helped fifth graders with their screenplays where they got professional actors to act in them and guide them. And I went and did that one day. And I remember driving home and I was whistling. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I saw, I was like, I'm happy. Wait, I haven't felt this good in a while. Why am I feeling good? Because uh, I went and helped. Yeah. So, um, and I was also helping inside my profession. I was of course. giving acting back. So I, was, I was acting. What is my dream? What is my, what is, is to be an, is, is to, my mom is a healer. When I was young, my mom told me, you are an actor. As you chose, I don't think that's my core, but I think that's what yeah. I do. But you are an actor. And I acted mm-hmm. by giving back. So that was a, so thank you for saying that about healing. So I would say that's where a lot of that philosophy has, was born from, from my mom, mm-hmm. from my grandmother of giving back through my mom, through that moment. Um, to now through the, the docu-series I've been working with Tati to nonprofit work and other work and now this YouTube series and now uh, my friend, my new friend Ricky Day on Nothing to Lose That Yourself podcast, um, these, these concepts. Absolutely. And they're really healing. I feel good, you know, they, they really feel good. Yeah, they feel good. And the YouTube show is great, man. I saw some of that as well. I'm going to let you get out of here, but this last question is the one I ask all the guests. Everybody answers this one. Amir, what kind of world do you want to believe, leave behind? And what do you feel is your role in helping to create it? I think this one's an easy one for you. <laughs> These questions are enormous. You like, what, your questions are basically, what is the meaning of life? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, can you just ask me again? Sure. Uh, I mean, fundamentally, man, I mean, you care about people. You care about children. You care about other people. What kind of world? Do you want to leave behind and and what do you feel is going to be or can be your contribution to creating that world? If I could distill it, mm-hmm. please do. Cause I don't want you mad at me. Oh my God. I feel emotional. If I drained. could distill it. It's really, it, it's, it's really simple. Be kind. It's not hard to do. And it pays endless dividends and for others in ways you can't even imagine. And then unconsciously it'll pay dividends to yourself. So then you can help the outer, the world outside of yourself, the world inside of yourself. And it can be a chicken and egg thing. And we can, uh, we can, uh, get back to the source of love. Love all comes back to love. Amir Arison, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been great, man. This has been, uh, much deeper and even more emotional than I thought it may be, but I, I love it. And I think people are going to be uh, well served by it, sir. Um, the blacklist is on NBC. It's also available. Previous seasons are available on Netflix. Anything else, any other links you want to share with people where they can get some of this creativity and positivity that's coming from your world? Oh, well, this small little YouTube conversation series called positive peaks. Um, it's on my YouTube channel. It's really just fledgling, beautiful thing that feels great conversations not unlike this one mm-hmm. um are on there about you know um 
Uh, I've been working on a docu-series with the young girl you mentioned in my bio, uh, Tatiana Bernard, uh, com is our website there. And, you know, we're always looking for help. Um, making a docu-series is not easy. Yeah. Um, uh, but Tati's doing great. Side note, Tati's been doing great. And we made her, she wanted to make a fashion show that went great. Um, gosh, um, I'm going to be getting into the NFT space soon. Ah, <laughs> Um, but, uh, I don't know. Yeah. So stay tuned for that. I usually drop all this stuff on my social media. So thank you. Yeah. And your social handles are Amir Arison. Arison. They're my name. All my social handles are just Amir Arison. A-M-I-R-A-R-I-S-O-N. And those of you listening, that'll be in the episode notes. So you can follow Amir. Amir, thank you so much for joining me, man. This has been great. And, uh, just want to let you know here publicly, you are stuck with me now. Uh, we will exchange information. I'll give you my number and stuff and we'll stay in touch, man. You are great. And anything I could do to support your efforts, I'd love to do you just a positive force in the world. And it's all too rare and it's appreciated. So I want to celebrate it, man. Thank you so much. We'll grab some nosh in Harlem. Sounds good. I know some spots. I know some good spots. Well, maybe you might, you may find a spot that I don't know. I know the spots, but you know, we'll see. We'll compare spots. How about that? Okay. <laughs> all right. Amir Arison, you guys. God bless you. Thank you so much. Amir Arison. Amir Arison, y'all, he's more than an artist. He's more than an actor, more than a director. We all are more than the things that we do. What you do is what you do. But who you are is a human being. Amir is a human being who sits at the nexus of generosity and kindness and gratitude. Amir is a creative being, an advocate for love, and the embodiment of willful positivity. Amir recognizes and is grateful for the gift of a loving family who instilled in him the values that serve as his GPS as he navigates this life. Amir was taught to love by the simple act of being loved and he was given a work ethic that has been a key component in the success that he has achieved thus far. Parents love your children. They are not your science project. They are not the blackboard upon which you write all your egotistical dreams for yourself. They are little human beings who have come into this world by your hand, by your act, by hopefully your acts of love. And your responsibility, your duty is to love them no matter who they are or what they choose to do. You should love. Amir is also an example of how persistence and a willingness to invest in self and in other people can not only make your own dreams come true, but also has the power to transform the lives of the people and the world around you. Every day is an opportunity to be the best person we can be. Every day is an opportunity to choose to be ourselves, to choose to strive towards our dreams, to choose to use our gifts to serve others, and to choose to love. If we have a dream, we have a responsibility to ourselves to hone our skills and to perfect our craft so that when life gives us the opportunity to walk into that dream, we are prepared not only to play the game, but to excel in the role, to excite the crowds that are watching, and to enrich and empower our sense of self. 
we show our gratitude for the opportunity to live this life and to walk into our dreams by showing up as the best us possible in all situations at all times. As Uncle Ben said to Peter Parker, with great power comes great responsibility. And the greatest gift in the world and the greatest power in the world is love itself. Everyone on this planet has love from God, is love in physical form, and by default has a responsibility to be the love we are made from and to share the love inside us with others. It is the height of hypocrisy and deceit to claim to love God in one sentence and to spew hatred towards another in the next. God is love. We are love. And the most important commandment of all is to love one another as God loves us. Amir Arison is a human being, and as such he isn't perfect. But Amir gets the assignment and is doing everything he can to deliver. That's all any of us can do. All any of us can do is our best. And I think it's time. I definitely think it's about time that we all start to do just that and to do our best to simply and consistently share kindness and to be love. Well, y'all, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Amir Arison. I hope you watched The Blacklist on NBC. It's also available on Netflix. I hope you continue to listen to the podcast. I hope, I pray, and I request that you please go out and you share this with all your friends, your family, your enemies, your coworkers. I don't care. Share it with everybody because I am committed, y'all, to having these great conversations and to entertain you and inform you and give you knowledge and wisdom that can make your lives better because at the end of the day you know what it's about i'm trying to do everything i can to change this world one conversation at a time once again if you uh have social media follow the podcast nothing to lose but yourself on instagram and on twitter my name is ricky day r-i-c-k-y-d-a-y and you can follow me on instagram and twitter as well and i pray that you go to apple podcast y'all apple podcast and please positively rate and review the podcast because that helps us a lot as we seek to uh, get more people listening and have more of these conversations and do everything that we can together to make this world a little bit better to change this world one conversation at a time have an amazing week i love you i hope you love yourself and trust me you don't even have to believe but god loves you too be well <laughs>